In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from across the pond, is Mr. Parascience himself, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good day, Stephen. Good evening, Ron. Um, <laughs> is that the real Ron? You sound very right. different tonight. I did. You did. Was that you right. singing as well in the intro? Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Were you singing the Who song? I absolutely was. You have a very good singing voice. Yes, I know that. No, <laughs> I actually uh, recovering from four days at the Collinwood Inn in Oldenite, New York, which is a Dark Shadows theme B&B, and they... Uh, vampire-type uh, bread and breakfast. Actually, a fantastic place. It sounds like you had a great time. Uh, oh, yeah. If, if your voice is anything to go by. Yeah. Well, I also had four beautiful women with me. Ah, that might explain the voice and the late mm-hmm. nights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we... Uh, we wanted to try. We we did, I did a book signing and, and an event there, and we wanted to try some of the old school things, you know. So I was reading a book by Christian Day. Actually, Karen was, and she was telling me about they used to summon the spirits by ringing a bell. So I thought, hmm, maybe I'll try that. So I was going to buy a bell, and I looked at a couple places, and they wanted like thirty five bucks, and I was like, eh, I don't think so. So, anyways, I went to this place uh, called Pips. And they have all kinds of weird stuff in it. But they did have a bell, and it was only $7.99. So I said, all right, I'll buy it. But the only thing about it was there was some writing on it. Right. Yeah. Well, the writing was fairly simple. It says, ring if you want sex. Well, should we try ringing for the spirits? (laughs) So... Anyway, uh, yeah, so. Actually, um, it's funny you should say that uh, bells were used for summoning spirits because in the Catholic exorcism, they, uh, the priest will use bell, book, and candle to uh, remove the offending spirit. Yep, and also if you look at feng shui, in feng shui you uh, clap or make noise or ring a bell in the four corners of the room driving the bad chi out. 
Um, my, my, I, I have no real uh, knowledge of feng shui, um, apart from always ordering prawn crackers. <laughs> hey, I've seen you've been very busy, very, very busy on Facebook uh, with all kinds of interesting things. Like, I, I remember it was one thing, well, there's so many paranormal groups out there that want to do, uh, supposedly, I forget the, your exact words, but basically, why are they all doing events? Instead of yeah, doing research. it was it, it was a it was a it was a simple question. Um, why are there any groups out there that don't sell public events? What happened to just old plain investigating? It certainly it certainly raised the response, and there was quite a healthy debate about it. Mm-hmm. But um, we've been very busy. Uh, Cal's been up up for the weekend, um, mm-hmm. and he he brought with him a ghost or spirit communication device from the 1940s really uh, which was uh found in the archives of the society of psychical research nobody knew anything about it no documentation uh, no instructions for operating it um in fact nobody even knew it worked anyway cal managed to bring it up and uh I managed to breathe life into it and get it going and uh, yes. figure, out how it, figure out how it worked. And tell me more, it, tell me more. Well, it uses the principle, uh, the, the, side, the back story is that um, it, during World War II, um, a British spiritualist communicated with the deceased spirit of Thomas Edison and Edison gave him instructions for building this device. Now, no, not Spiritcom, is it? No, I should stress it's not um, a Spiritcom. It's not okay. related to any of Edison's described uh, versions of his machine. Okay. Uh, it's a, it, what it seems to do, or what it is doing, is taking... Um, it has a radio receiver that mm-hmm. listens to VHF and UHF, but there is no radio demodulator, so it's not capable of picking up radio stations, merely capable of responding to radio frequencies, radio waves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another uh, internal frequency oscillator, and between, the, between t- the, uh, the tuner and the oscillator, it's designed to bring this very, very high-frequency radio energy down into the audible range, because... Um, around the time people like Sir Oliver Lodge, Nikola Tesla, were suggesting that spirit, spirits may exist in the extremely high-frequency range uh, of the radio spectrum. And so this device had been built in order to explore that possibility. And it's fully working um, over the course of a, uh, several hours and one or two quite nasty electric shocks from the device. Uh, <laughs> a thousand volts from one of the valve capacitors. Um, oh, nice. But uh, it's all working, and it's on its way back, uh, back to London, back for storage with a set of instructions. And if anybody wants to have a quick look at it, if they go onto my Facebook page, um, you'll you'll find a very short video clip of the device working. Really? So um, I, I definitely want to see this. I'll have to go on your page. Which is Stephen Parson or Steve Parson? Uh, Parascience. Oh, Parascience. My apologies, sir. Um, it, you'll see the short. You'll see the short video clip. It's only about ten seconds long, but uh, Cal and I are writing up a, an article uh, that describes the, the the device in full. So that'll follow in a few weeks' time. Outstanding. 
Anyways, I do believe we have a guest with us now, and uh, you know it's 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 interesting because uh, I just came from this vampire-themed uh, bread and breakfast, and tonight I'm going to dining with the dead with the gothic magic of Vlad, and we'll also be discussing the vampire community in New York City. So, uh, right on that line, we actually have a vampire expert with us tonight. Did you know that? <laughs> um, I had heard. I could I could hear some. Maniacal guttural, guttural <laughs> laughter in the background. Oh, that's spooky! It's not quite vampire laughing. <laughs> Hi guys. It, Hi. It is Doctor Sean. Oh, wait a minute. O'Callaghan. That's right. Hi. Hi. Good evening. I, I cannot believe Hi, I, I didn't butcher your name because I butcher everyone's name. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. And and how Thank did you, you. Ever, ever come by the uh, reputation of being a vampire expert? It's a bit of a strange reputation to have. Um, I kind of got into it by accident, really. Um, One of the areas I research is cyber spiritualities, looking at the spiritualities which are emerging on the Internet. And I just came across um, lots of vampire groupings, lots of people who uh, believe themselves to be real vampires. And it it was a, a surprise, not something... I expected to come across, so I started looking in, into it a little more deeply and uh, found that there were a whole group of people out there who really are not playing at being vampires. They actually fully believe themselves to be vampires. So it's, uh, it, to me, it was a whole, a whole new world opened up for exploration. All right. Were you bitten, by the way? <laughs> I mean, by the subject, by the subject, by the subject, by the subject, I was bitten. Yes. Oh, I can, I can see we're going to have a nice. It's going to be one of those, isn't it? Every vampire joke you can think. I can see. I can see some of them coming. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure, Sean, you've heard most of them. I've got to confess, uh, Ron and Sean, to be yes. a, compl- a complete ignorance of vampires. Um, okay. Among uh, other I, things. I, I'm a, amongst other things. I, I'm a ghost hunter, and that's where yeah. my area of interest and expertise lies. Um, I really have nothing, no knowledge at all about vampires. Um, I do have a copy of Dracula by Bram Stoker. Okay, yeah. There endeth my my knowledge of vampires. Okay, um, but I, I'm intrigued because my daughter um, is very yeah. into the Twilight. Um, yeah, films. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and you've got Buffy, you've got True Blood, you've got a yeah, whole... Uh, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Mean, why, why do you think um, that vampires are, are so popular in our culture? Uh, we look back to the Victorian era, right up to the present day. You know, so many people identify with vampires. Yeah, I, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I think there are lots of reasons historically for an interest in vampires. But I think in our uh, contemporary era, I think the vampire has become the cool outsider, as it were. The, the vampire is partly a charismatic figure, but also the figure that's able to stand outside of everything. And if you look at the films, if you look in particular at the Twilight movies, the the characters there are very much on the sideline. They're very cool. They're very sexy. They're very appealing. And I think it appeals a lot to young people, maybe, who sometimes feel disempowered themselves. The vamp- the idea of the vampire, the power of the vampire, the outsider having a secret power just 
maybe helps them to rediscover something in themselves. I've got. I I I I recall that um, back in the nineteenth century, the vampire was considered to be a, a figure of uh, great romance and great yes, passions. Yes. Um, yes. So, as you say, there has been some sort of cultural shift. Yeah, I I think so, and I think the what's very interesting is to see what I call the changing face of the vampire. When I was growing up, the representation of the vampire was obviously uh, Bella Lugosi and uh, Christopher Lee, and and you know they weren't exactly I suppose what you would call attractive figures, but the the current face of the vampire, you know, people like. Edward Cullen, you know, the character of Edward Cullen and, and so on. Young people who are very, very attractive, very cool, very appealing. And it's just very interesting to see that, that mm. the, the whole image of the vampire has, shift enor- sorry, has, has shifted enormously. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, no, I, I'm just, it, it's just, it's fascinating because I, I do know some people who are involved in the, the vampire community. Uh, yeah. I've uh, interviewed and I've, I've met and spoken to uh, Michelle Belanger. Uh, All right, you, yeah, great. Uh, you, you are aware of her? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. She's a, a prime mover within the vampire movement, really a very important figure within within the vampire movement and someone who's been uh, instrumentally involved in drawing up lists of rules and ethics for people who consider themselves to be vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting lady. Yeah, in fact, if my, uh, my picture on my uh, Twitter account has, she is with me. Uh, and ever since then, I've been under her spell. So, but anyways... Uh, <laughs> Moving along, I mean, yeah. how did we get from the vampire as as a creature of evil to this great romantic thing? I mean, what changed over the, to, to make the difference? I mean, was it really Bram Stoker that that really changed this, or, or, or was it something? Or maybe you know the the movie I'm talking about because it yeah yeah in the beginning they're really evil, but and now you're almost like mm. oh you know I want to be one. That's right. The vampire becomes a friend. I think a lot of it is just that sort of personification of the vampire. In the in the past, the vampire was some kind of mysterious creature, in the sense, a hellish creature, and a creature that human beings just couldn't identify with, you know, human beings shied away from the vampire. And then gradually through Stoker, through others, especially through the modern authors now, Stephanie Meyer and Anne Rice, Anne Rice and uh, yeah. Charlene Harris, yeah, the, the vampire is, has just become um, uh, humanised isn't, isn't the good word for it, but you know what I mean? It's, the, the vampire has been given a face, an acceptable face, and mm-hmm. turned into somebody like us but not like us so human beings can identify with the vampire figure but at the same time the vampire figure is always different as well so it was very difficult you know for humans to identify identify with the vampire of old but now it's much much easier to do that so so the the face of the vampire has 
changed, I think, more than anything else. So that makes the vampire a much easier being to identify with. So you have even films like True Blood or TV series like True Blood, which are quite heavy. Uh, and in there, the vampires are sometimes quite scary, quite frightening, but at the same time, they have that human face. And sometimes that human face is very handsome, very good-looking face, so it's uh, attractive. I, I have to ask you, and it's totally non-secular, but I, I couldn't help it. It came into my brain while I was listening yeah. to you. Did you ever see the commercial for the car company in the Vampire Party? No, 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 I haven't. Oh, my God. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 since I mentioned it, I have to bring it up. Uh, during the Super Bowl, of course, they always try to outdo each other with the commercials. So yeah. they they, uh, they made this commercial for a car company, and I forget the car company even, but it shows a vampire driving along, and he's going to, you know how teenagers have these parties in the woods where they, they have a fire and they surround yeah. drink and all yeah. that stuff? Well, it shows this vampire coming over to the party, and, and he's he's got a, uh, a big box of uh, different types of blood on his, his seat, you know, you know, okay. the, uh, yeah. So he drives up to the party and he gets in there and uh, as he pulls up, everybody's excited because he know they know they're bringing the blood and all of a sudden the, the headlights from the car hit him and they start <laughs> vaporizing everywhere. And, and, and what it was is, you know, the, the headlights are the brightest day, but that was the thing. But it, was, it really was a cute commercial and, and that's, that's the same thing though. It, it, it's, it's making these, uh, putting really putting a face on the vampire. It's no longer this this awful creature, you know. It, it's it's That's just right, kids yeah. out there having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think it's very appealing for young young people to sometimes feel like the cool outsider, especially if a young person is struggling. Maybe I mean not all people who are into the vampire lifestyle are kind of struggling with their identity and so on. But but a lot of young people who get into the novels, who get into the movies, they are, they're kind of discovering themselves, they're trying to find themselves, maybe to some extent they feel the outsider in school or in their communities, and they can identify very much with this empowered outsider. And I think that's what, uh, what the vampire primarily is. He or she is an empowered outsider. Of course, all of these, um, the films, the movies, the books, they're all very much Western cultured, but mm. the vampire, of course, is... I, do, I don't know whether you, you've, you've looked at the, uh, the Eastern, uh, Eastern European uh, young, young A little, people. yes, yes. Do they, do they have this same sort of cool outlook, uh, or is there still the historical reticence and fear of the vampire that, that, was, um, you know, that was quite prevalence in, in Eastern Europe? Um, I think certainly in the young people I've come across and certainly in the web forums I've come across in which you have young people from the East, I think they still very much, they do follow the Western view of the vampire now because it's that cultural representation now which has become the dominant cultural representation through through f films and books. Of course. Uh, through mass media. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know from from uh, from the ghost hunting side that there, there is a great deal of interest in uh, ghost tourism to Transylvania uh, yeah, to explore yeah. the vampire or the ghosts associated with the vampire yeah, uh, stories yeah. uh, that, that from Eastern Europe. Um, but I was just wondering whether there was still uh, you know a legacy of fear within Eastern uh, European the, the, there society. Is. 
there is some, I think, and certainly within places like Serbia, especially, I think I've come across a lot of news reports of sort of scares in Serbia where people, you know, there have been kind of um, events where a certain mass hysteria about vampires appearing in, in villages and towns that perhaps, you know, people come across animals mutilated in the countryside and rumours spread uh, very quickly. And I think um, uh, I think the body of Slobodan Milosevic was mutilated at, at some stage by people who feared that he might be a, a, a vampire and come back. So there is that fear still mm. in places, but I think the dominant view at the moment of the vampire is kind of very much the view of Western Europe and the state, you know, that kind of the mass media representation of the vampire is the one that's gaining currency. And of course, I, I suppose as well that uh, there is also the comedy vampire that, that children grow up with over here. We have Count, yes, Ducula, course, we have yeah, Count Ducula yeah. and the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> so vampires, right. there is, you know, right from an early age, vampires are seen in a slightly uh, comedy comedy way, I guess, which, yeah, which removes yeah. any fear. Yeah, and um, the thing that just fascinates me about the vampire at the moment is that it's everywhere. I just, I, it just really it interests me. Over the last maybe five or six years, you just see the vampire motif absolutely everywhere. You know, you've got, so you've got the Vampire Chronicles on TV, True Blood, you've got the Twilight movies, you've got, you know, a lot of minor films about vampires um it's 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 all around us it's kind of fascinating how much has seeped into our culture over the last few years and of course so, on the internet you have lots and lots of groups on the internet of uh, people who believe themselves to be um sorry believe themselves to be vampires <coughs> sorry so do you do, are you a fan of uh, true blood and twilight yeah, to some extent. Yeah, I mean, True the Blood is a little posters on the wall. <laughs> yeah, True Blood is a little grittier, really. Uh-huh. Um, and the storylines are quite fascinating. I think. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So I, I am a fan, but it's, but I, 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 I don't get a whole pile of time to look at them. I have to say, but uh, it, I, I just, it's, it's absolutely fascinating just to see how prevalent. The image of the vampire is. Mm. I, just, I, I mean, I haven't watched any of the films. I've tried to avoid them, but there is there is one program that runs here in the UK on on BBC television, which yeah. which does uh, hold a great interest to me, which is the, of course, um, being human, where you've got this right, concept, yeah, of course, the vampire, yeah. the werewolf, and the ghost all living together in a house. Um, <laughs> And, and you know, it started off as a comedy program and then became very yeah. very dark. Uh, and that was centred yeah. around the vampires trying to take over. Um, I mean, there are still yeah. the comedy moments, but, uh, you know, I don't think that's reached America yet, has it, Ron? A ghost, a vampire, and a, and a werewolf all living in a house. You know what? As much as I always make fun of you guys, not that I do, but when <laughs> I, <laughs> um, you, you guys are always cutting edge as far as uh, TV. You're way ahead of us. Uh, yeah, the sci-fi has the a show now called Being Human. I don't know if it's the exact same one or is it another ripoff of, of uh, one of your shows uh, because we all know that most of the good TV comes from the UK. 
Good, I think yeah. there is an American version of it. Um, That's probably what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the script writers there were onto a winner right from the, you know, whoever thought up the idea of um, oh, it's an excellent those three idea, characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's an excellent idea. And it's kind was, of very... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say that it was going to be pure comedy from the start. There were so many ways that could, that, that program could go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, I think, you know, something like Being Human and the Vampire movies are kind of re, very reflective of a movement, I think, which is much wider at the moment in Western society. And that's something that sociologists of religion call sacralization, basically the sacred coming back into society through popular culture. And it's, it's just interesting that as... as um, society itself, you know, in kind of terms of church going and religion, as it becomes more secular, it's interesting that you have this renewed interest in the supernatural mm. in popular culture. And Is I suppose re- something like being human attracts people because it explores that existential side, which kind of leads people to explore their spiritual side as well. I mean, what drives someone from I mean because every so often you hear about somebody who thinks they're a real vampire and they, they commit yeah. some stupid atrocity what drives them to that edge is it is it is it they become totally lost from reality or or, or, or is it just a, a character flaw or have you done any research on that yeah I've I've, I've kind of been in contact with uh, a lot of people who do believe themselves to be uh, vampires and and they don't see themselves as, as, I suppose the vampire community doesn't see itself as being a dangerous community or as being people who are out of touch with reality. They very much see themselves as people who've discovered something about themselves, that kind of found the real them. Many will say it's something they've awakened to. And if you ask a vampire, how do you know if you're a, a vampire, one of the answers you'll get is say, in the same way you know whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, it's just something you know, it's ingrained in you. You kind of grow up feeling there's something about you that's different. And then something happens, you discover, you meet somebody else who considers themselves uh, a vampire or you see a vampire movie, uh, movie which triggers uh, some recognition in you and and uh, you kind of discover yourself uh, but they don't see it the community itself doesn't view itself as being out of touch it, it views itself as as being made up of people who are discovering uh, who they are in reality mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I mean sometimes you do get people obviously who engage in violence just like you do in every community and the vampire community will stress that they will say yes within the vampire community you get people who are dangerous you get people who are problems but you do in every single community in existence i think we've got a break coming up um if if, if i'm looking at the clock right but after yep. after that I'd like, to talk about, I'd like to talk about the body modifications that some people um you know, the, the, uh, do in, in pursuit really? of their, their their love of vampirism, okay. um, you know, a lot of them have uh, quite quite um, expensive dental work done and undertaken. Yeah, 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 definitely. Good. All right, I guess that uh, we'll have to take a break. <laughs> 
Anyway, it's very good, uh, Stephen. You're really getting the hang of this, you know. I was just watching the clock on the computer, that's all. Uh, it's fantastic. Because you mean, normally interrupt me when I'm about to ask a question, so I thought I'd interrupt myself tonight. Okay, very good. Anyways, we do have to take a break because there's the tunes. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parascience himself, Stephen Parsons, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kowak. And our very special guest has been vampire expert, Dr. Sean O'Callaghan. And we'll be right back after the following messages here on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick, with our very, very special guest, Dr. Sean O'Callaghan, vampire exa here, vampire expert here on TojiNet, Ghost Channel, Pararex, and beyond. Uh, so, Steve, you are uh, about to ask a question? Hey, well, it was... It was um aimed at Sean and it was yeah. uh, it was a reference to uh, I, there is um, amongst the vampire community there is quite a lot of uh, particularly dental and other body modifications that take place yeah. aren't there yeah, and, and some of them are few, permanent yeah. they are and, and we kind of have to distinguish between um, people who are what are called vampire lifestylers and the vampire community itself. Some people are very much into the vampire lifestyle. They like wearing the clothes. They like uh, having sort of certain hairstyles, you know, and, and um, just, but they don't consider themselves to be vampires necessarily. But quite often they will get dental work done because they're very committed to the image. Um, 
but they may never actually consider themselves to be vampires. The vampire community itself um, is made up of people who do believe they are actually vampires, you know, that they are ontologically uh, vampires, that that is the real them. So within that community, you may not see people going maybe in the extreme ways that lifestylers do, you know, they, they may not get as much work done because for them it's the internal search is more important mm-hmm. than uh, external uh, outlook. It is pretty drastic um, work that some of them have done though, isn't it? It is, yeah, they have implants in their, their teeth sometimes, people even have things done to their foreheads to make them look a little different or even have kind of horns implanted but uh you know, it's it, for a lot of people, it's a, a fashion statement mm. more, more than anything you, else. Would you say more akin to body piercing and tattooing? Yeah, I think it is. And I think within the vampire community itself, the people who consider themselves to be real vampires are probably not as keen to have modifications done because for them, it's the identity is more important, mm. really. Um, but certainly among some of the lifestylers, you know, the people who just uh, live out the fashion, um, they may place more of a premium on getting work done. What do the real vampires, those who believe themselves to be true vampires, think of this, the the lifestylers, as you you call them? Is there a sort of hierarchy, a snobbery associated with...? There is, strangely enough. Yes, they have a big problem with the lifestylers because they think the lifestylers give them a bad name. And uh, they're kind of quite often on the uh, internet sites, the lifestylers are considered to be wannabes, you know, there are, are <laughs> people who are, you know, who are aspiring to be vampires, <laughs> but not quite cutting the mustard, as it were. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's strange to see the, the various uh, groupings and how they interact with each other and you quite often get huge arguments going on on internet uh, forums in which you know people are are accusing the uh, uh, lifestylers of uh, muscling in on, on vampire territory not being serious about it just playing around on the edges as it were so it's, so it's Sean, a strange when, when you world. do it's a strange oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry. Sorry. Sean, sorry. in your studies, do you just study modern culture or do you go back uh, into history? And, and uh, I, I really look at what's happening today more than in anything else because, as I, as I said, I got into it through looking at cyber spirituality. Mm-hmm. So it's very much keeping in touch with what's happening now um, rather than history. I mean, obviously, I do look a little bit at the history as well, but mostly at what's happening now and how vampires see themselves now, how they interact with each other. Now, okay, then I, I, ask you, I won't ask you to comment on the uh, CBS report of supposedly the remains of a grand vampire they found near Venice. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I, I heard about it. I, I can't remember all the details of it now some stories about it were, were posted on the vampire website but there hasn't been a lot of discussion on it I have to say I think it was some time ago but uh, yeah I, I'd be interested to find out m- more about it but I don't know a whole pile about it I have to say 
but okay. but it was certainly discussed. It was certainly noted on the website. So, so they're they're aware of all things that that relate to what's happening to vampires in general. Yes, in the community. And, and yes, and uh, there's actually an, an organization, a kind of the Vatican of vampires, in a sense, which is called the Atlanta Vampire Alliance. And the Atlanta Vampire Alliance is made up of uh, vampires and experts on uh, vampires who um, gather together mostly online, but also in real life to uh, investigate the um, vampire um, phenomenon, as it were, to uh, to um, research vampire activity in various countries in the world, gather data together and it's 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 a very interesting group and the mm-hmm. website is a, a treasure trove of information i have do, to do say you, so do you know it offhand so that we can uh, give it out i think it's i think it's um it's ava anyway if, if you just google atlanta vampire alliance i think it might be ava.org or ava.com i can't quite okay uh, right remember but it's a very very interesting site and the people there are extremely knowledgeable, and there, there is a huge amount of data there. They have gathered a, a lot of information about vampirism. And, and it's one a very other interesting question. community. Okay. When I, as far as the community, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, there seems to be only almost two communities, and one that that are true, uh, they believe in the, the true blood vampire versus the psychic vampire. Uh, yes, um, vampires tend to divide themselves into three main groupings. There are sanguinarian vampires, and they are vampires who believe they have to have blood in order to get energy. They believe that they suffer from a certain energy uh, deficiency, so they have to drink blood. So they drink blood maybe in small amounts. They may have, uh, they may have some people who agree to give them blood. So they set up an agreement with a friend, it could be with a partner, it could be with uh, a sibling, a close friend of some kind, but sometimes even with strangers, you know, that they go in search of and they make an agreement with this person, this, this person will provide them with blood, with, with small amounts of blood. Then you've got the psychic uh, vampires, they don't need blood, but they need energy and they uh, they need some kind of psychic energy and very often they will go into large crowds of people they'll go to rock concerts, they'll go to football matches and so on where there's a, a great deal of heightened energy and they will try to drink the energy from those uh, situations for uh, for example and, and then you've got hybrid vampires who are kind of a mixture of the sanguinarian and the psychic and so sometimes they drink blood sometimes they go psychic for a long period of time and sometimes if a vampire can't get human blood uh, they're happy enough maybe sometimes to get animal blood of some kind but we're we're not uh, talking here about huge amounts of blood very small amounts of blood really and uh, there's a, a strong drive within the community to be as ethical as possible about this so the atlanta vampire alliance especially has drawn up all kinds of rules and 
um, uh, guidelines in order to guide vampires as to how they should uh, feed. It's uh, it's an un- unusual world, I have to say. Um, but the more you get into it, and the more you understand its internal workings, you can kind of understand the internal logic as well. You talked about um, your your main interest being in the cyber spiritualism. Um, yes. Of course, I, just dragging it into my area of of interest. Um, yeah. Is is is. Is that related to this general increase in paranormal interest relating to ghosts and mediumship and vampirism? Yeah, I I think it is. The thing about the internet, of course, is that everybody can be their own authority on there. And one of the things we're seeing very much in the um, sacred sphere at the moment, the sacred landscape, is there's a shift away from uh, a traditional um religious form so tradition uh, where belief is handed on so somebody packages a belief they hand it on to the next generation and so on and it's much the same belief that's, that gets handed down with very uh, minor changes there's a shift from that into people um, constructing their own spiritualities we're seeing this strongly at the moment and quite often they're constructing their own spiritualities from elements of uh, popular culture so they're taking ideas from films Mm. and from books and from even games on the internet and sometimes they're mixing them together Mm. with more uh, traditional forms and kind of um, uh, forming these hybrid forms of of faith and it's quite interesting to, to see that and you you come across this uh, a lot on the internet. You come across groups of people who are finding each other. So in the past, this would never have happened because there was just no way they could find each other. So let's say someone watches a movie, someone watches the Matrix, for instance, or a Star Wars movie, and they get something spiritual from it. In the past, they would have really had nobody to talk to about that. Now they can go on the internet, they can find uh, groups uh, that are discussing these movies, and they can seek out other people who are, are seeing spiritual themes. And as a result, you see the emergence of spiritual groups on the internet which are based around popular cultural expressions. Is this... Is this- uh, how much of this is uh, could be suggested as being an actual failure of mainstream religion to, oh, to cater lot, for these think, people? Yeah, a lot, I think. Um, if you, England, especially Britain, is becoming much more uh, a, a secular country. Recent uh, figures for church attendance are now probably around maybe 7%. Uh, certainly in 2000, I think the figure was 7.9%. And it's uh, certainly um, got worse since then so probably around seven percent at the moment so as the country becomes more secular and fewer and fewer people are getting their spiritual answers from churches for example they still are looking for some kind of spirituality Mm -hmm. and quite often they find that through popular culture Mm. I i think i think a lot of that you can see within my area of the paranormal um you know, there is a, there is a sort of quasi mix between mainstream religion um, created spirituality 
and yeah. created ideas all gets melded together we have a lot of people uh, who have moved from mediumship into exorcism for example all right okay yeah um, exorcism and exorcist being an exorcist is quite is is quite popular demonologist yes. yeah we have a lot of that as well yeah yeah oh, well. and it's, and it's interesting that you know that has shifted away from the church world into a much more uh, self-authoritarian world, so where p- people are uh, declaring themselves to be exorcists, other people are, are, are perhaps naming them as exorcists, whereas in the past that job belonged to the churches. And it's, th- that's a very interesting shift as well. It's also, um, from my perspective, um, interesting that it's only the evil, the dark side, the exorcism, uh, and the exorcist, the demonology that's that's become popular, but we don't. I I don't think there is a similar rise uh, via the internet of the miraculous. The whole actually there is, Stephen. There is. Uh, there are a great deal of uh, people out there who are angelologists. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. hear about them in, in our community that much, but there is a huge movement. Uh, Darlene Virtue and uh, Elizabeth Foley over here, and wow. uh, yeah, there, there is a big, big community of people who believe in angels uh, as well. I think that's. Yeah. I, America is uh, it does have a a, a a greater connection with the church, though, doesn't it, Ron? You know, you, oh, I don't. Uh, I, I, I'm not I think, sure. I, I mean, is, I would I, think that you guys would have a greater connection to the church, being the Church of England, and then of course all your religious battles between the Protestants and the Catholics. And I mean, you have a deeply religious background. When you when you really think about it, I mean, you, I, how I, many I, wars have been fought over in England? <laughs> Yeah, but in terms of going to church, I, 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 when I've been over in, in America, it seems mm-hmm. that almost everybody or a large proportion of people yeah. go to church on a Sunday, whereas over here, we go to the pub or we go to the, <laughs> di- or we go to the DIY centre. Well, you get your spirit one way or the other, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we're not a great church-going nation anymore, I think, no, are we sure? No, of, you know? <laughs> no definitely not. And, and the figures in the States are much, much higher than here. Can I make an observation? Yeah. It's very interesting because when you think about it, our country was primarily founded by, you know, people from Europe. And there was a great influx from them, which, so therefore the religion came with it. And your country now is being influxed from all over the world, from all different uh, religions and so forth. So it's kind of like diluted the base that once was there. I, th- I, I think to some extent, I mean, it means secularization in Britain goes back quite a long time. And, mm-hmm. and we began to see it around the time of the Industrial Revolution, really. You, 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 you can see um, church numbers declining even yeah. then. You can see um, uh, that... Uh, Weber, the sociologist Max Weber, spoke about what he called the disenchantment of the world, which is magic being taken out of the world. Magic in its, its, its widest sense, a sense of awe, a sense of mystery uh, about the supernatural. And, the, and he kind of blamed the revolution, the industrial uh, revolution for this. He said it... it uh, it resulted in this process whereby nature 
became something that had to be managed. Um, the supernatural and mystery was taken out of it. And, and, and that process has continued really through the 20th century as well. And gradually secularization has gained ground in Britain. So, so that now, as I said earlier, really church attendance is very, very low here in Britain. But at the same time, people are still very interested in the supernatural over and over again in every survey. When people are asked, do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe in a being out there? You know, the, the, the very high numbers of people say they do, but they're not getting their spirituality so much from churches anymore, but they have to be spiritually fed somewhere. Mm. So... Um, if you think about the very popular films, the very popular books of the last 20 years or so, almost all of them had, have had some sort of supernatural element to them. And as a result, people tend to get spiritually fed now, I think, by um, films and books that have supernatural elements. I mean, that would hold true for the Harry Potter series, for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Even the matrix it's mm. itself you know there's a lot of religion in the matrix you know mm. that film was very influential mm. when it came out in in 1999 and it came out over easter weekend and you have the whole idea in the matrix of the dying and r rising god you have neo the main character there neo being an anagram of one you know the one a messiah right. figure and over and over again, you see um, that in these movies, especially even the Truman Show, is a fascinating film with a huge amount of spirituality in it. Not a lot of people see it in there, but Truman is like the true man. He's a bit like an Adam figure living in a world constructed by a, a God who's far off, who doesn't appear to care for him or love him in any way. And, and, and all of these films touch some kind of a supernatural element in people's lives. Right. Well, we're going to have to take a short break right now. Uh, we have to play a little clip from my favorite girl, Vala Ventura. And here's another episode of Beyond Bazaar. Okay. Some medical maladies from the Book of the Bazaar. George Washington's teeth. Contrary to popular myth, George Washington didn't have wooden teeth. He had four sets of dentures made from a mix of hippopotamus bone, elephant ivory, and the teeth from cows and dead people. None of them worked well, and the discomfort of his dentures is one reason he looks so sour in his portraits. Maggot Act. Investigators in Tacoma, Washington, were able to identify two generations of maggots on a body that had died by a gunshot wound. In doing so, they determined the approximate date of the corpse's demise, as a maggot's life cycle lasts only about three weeks. Armed with the estimated date of death, the investigators were able to trace the deceased whereabouts and eventually find the killer. Some terrifying facts from the Book of the Bazaar, available wherever books are sold. That was Vala Ventura and another episode of Beyond Bizarre. She has two books, The Book of Bizarre and Beyond Bizarre, which are just loaded with cool stuff. Anyways, back to uh, Dr. Sean O'Callaghan and, uh, oh, Mr. Parascience, Stephen Parsons. Sitting quietly here. <laughs> I know. 
So, I mean, uh, uh, Sean, I mean, you are a doctor, yeah. so, I mean, what what is your uh, studies, your, uh, oh, God, I can't even think this morning. <laughs> I mean, what do you, yeah, what do you have your degree in? That sounds terrible, but you know what I'm getting with this, right? Thanks. <laughs> Help me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my main area really is very traditional Christian stuff. I, I, I did my PhD in uh um, looking at missionaries, looking at um, British missionaries who went to India. I looked at how, when they went to India, how the Indian culture sort of affected them and how how their interaction with faith systems in, in India affected their own theology. So I started off looking at very traditional um, Christian theology, really, um, I got in, as, as I say, I got into um, studying uh, vampires really through my interest in, in cyber spiritualities. I was just right. having a look at what's happening now in this whole new sphere of the internet. What, what's happening in the sacred sphere in the, in the internet? Because it's, it's online at the moment that the really interesting stuff is going on. So that's how I got into it. Um, so it's quite a shift for me, really, to be looking at this kind of stuff, and um, yeah, quite a quite a surprise. Uh, one other quick thing is: is do you have a you know a guess of of what percentage, uh, how big this community is? I mean, is it? It's it's not anywhere near mainstream. It, it's still a, no, still a no. French unit, right? Yeah, it's still just a few thousand, and even the Atlanta Vampire Alliance itself is unaware of how many people are uh, in, in, are involved. Because people who believe themselves to be vampires are very, very secretive about it. Um, so it's it's really difficult to quantify it. I mean, if you look at the uh, AVA website, if you look at the numbers for various countries in 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 the world, it just adds up to a few thousand. But uh, the AVA is convinced that there are a lot more people out there who are vampires, but who just uh, either don't know it yet or um, are just unable to identify themselves as vampires for fear of being excluded or for fear of persecution. Is it a growing community? I think it is. And the reason I, I sort of hesitate there is because a few years ago it appeared to be growing quite quickly. But in, in, in recent years, fewer and fewer people have been uh, identifying themselves as vampires. So it's hard to know whether this dip is there because uh, perhaps people are have gotten used to the movies now and, and it's become more um, acceptable maybe and people are not necessarily feeling they have to make a big song and dance about being a vampire. They're just quietly getting on with it and not necessarily um, identifying themselves on the internet and so on. So it, it, it's hard to know what's happening. But certainly a few years ago, at the height of the vampire movies, um, the community uh, believed itself to be growing, um, but things have gotten a little quiet, quieter lately. 
I've yep. got to add uh, pizza time. Um, I know, but I've got to ask one question of Sean, uh, and the pizza yep. bell is perfect. It's how do you like your steak? <laughs> <laughs> Medium. <laughs> Not through the heart, then. Not through the heart, no. <laughs> Sorry, Ronna. I've been sitting there waiting for the pizza bell for that one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. I, I stuck one in, so I guess you, you're entitled. <laughs> Anyways, I want, want to thank... Uh, we just about got to wrap it up. That was the pizza. That means the, the show has got to wrap it up before the pizza gets cold. So uh, we want to thank Dr. Sean O'Callaghan. And, and Thanks, any Dr. last thoughts? Sorry? Any last thoughts? I don't mean last, uh, last thoughts, but last show, it starts before the show ends. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch it at all. You, you, you kind of faded out a little bit, I'm afraid. Sorry. Okay. Any, any last thoughts before we leave? I think what Ron's asking, I don't know if I've got a better connection, is are there any final short words of wisdom, uh, Sean? Thank you. <laughs> okay, sorry, yes, I couldn't, I couldn't quite hear you. Sorry, um, just to say it, uh, that uh, if anybody out there is interested in learning more about this, the Atlanta Vampire Alliance really is the website to go to. That That's the place where you find the experts where we're uh, people are looking at what's happening right now in the community. So it's, it's an excellent website. And they're, they're actually a very good group of people and a very helpful group of people. I found them very helpful. If I've ever wanted to know anything, I just email them and they get, get back really, really quickly. And, um, you know, and, and the stuff they have there is absolutely brilliant. So if you are interested, uh, have, a, have a look at that. Sorry, I've got quite a bad sore throat at the moment, so I'm struggling with my voice. Well, we'll let you end it there, my friend. Very sore throat. That wasn't a pun, was it? (laughs) 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 No one's me or anything at this end. Oh, there's the tunes. That's how we have to go. So, uh, Steve, anything you want? You've got any events coming up or anything you want to... Plug before no, we hit the no, road. I, I've got a nice quiet week of uh, getting on with stuff and enjoying the evening sunshine. Okay, very good. And uh, you can uh, go to your Parascience website and see that medicine box that's on there, that uh, video. No, it's on, it's on my Facebook page. It's on, Facebook uh, page, I'm sorry. And I've also Facebook post- page. And I've also posted the uh, vampire found body and the commercial. So, till next week, good night and God bless all. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. 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 to ghosties. Take a piece of my heart Deliver us Deliver us